Hey friends, welcome to the Grace and Gratitude podcast, where it is my heartfelt mission to inspire and encourage moms to be the best they can be for the glory and honor of God. Motherhood is a beautiful, wonderful gift, but it can also be really challenging. I believe with God's grace and an attitude of gratitude, we can find the joy in motherhood that we are called to experience. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I know what you're thinking about this title. It is rather interesting. Don't give the enemy a BOGO. <laughs> so this title came to me probably about a week ago, and I've just been thinking about it. And I should say for basically all of my episodes, which haven't been very many so far, but all kinds of ideas on my list, I basically just get a title as an idea in in prayer time. And I know that it is something that the Lord needs me to talk about for others to hear. So all of these are unscripted, no notes, maybe one day I'll start utilizing notes, but I just kind of say a prayer before I press record. And here we are. And I, I think that is what the Lord's will is for me right now. So don't give the enemy a BOGO. In case anyone doesn't know what BOGO stands for, It is buy one, get one. So as a lot of stores use for marketing is, you know, having a BOGO sale, buy one t-shirt, get one free, or buy one pair of shoes, get one half off. It's a big, big, you know, marketing uh, word, if you will, acronym. BOGO, B-O-G-O, all big, very enticing, BOGO. So what I have realized probably... I'd say in the last year with my journey of becoming more mindful of, you know, not just my own thoughts and feelings, but also the way that the enemy works is that one of the biggest tactics of the enemy is to try to get you through someone else. So let's start at the very beginning here. The story of Adam and Eve, we all know it, we heard it as a child, we studied it growing up maybe, and maybe now that we're grown, we even rethink about it and, you know, have a different perspective on it now that we're adults, and I'm probably going to relate this whole don't give the enemy a BOGO thing to marriage quite a few times, but really it also applies to any relationship in your life. So going back to Adam and Eve, the enemy tempted Eve, right? He got Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. And then what happened? Then Adam ate the forbidden fruit because Eve talked him into it. So (laughs) the enemy is so, 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 so smart. He is so, so, so smart. Dangerously smart, obviously. He knew that if he could get Eve to do it, Adam would also do it. He knows our personalities. He knows our tendencies. He does not know our thoughts. He does not know the future. Only God knows those two things. But the enemy studies our behaviors. He can predict what we're going to do based on our past behaviors. So the way he already saw the relationship between Adam and Eve, he knew that if he could get her to eat the fruit... Because maybe she just was easier to get. Oh, hey, you know, you can be smart like God, all-knowing, all this stuff. 
Maybe he knew that if he would have used those same temptations on Adam, it would not have worked. Adam was going to be too smart, too logical. Nope, not doing that. But Eve, he got her. She fell for it. And then Eve was able to get Adam. So I couldn't even believe when I had this, you know, connection. I I thought of the whole don't give the enemy a BOGO thing long before I even thought of the story of Adam and Eve and how it literally started that long ago that the enemy was utilizing this tactic to get one person through another. So buy one, get one. He literally only got the one, but through them, he actually got both. And he does this all the time. So let's look at when we were younger, growing up, Maybe, you know, in school, a certain student is having a really hard time and they take their frustration out on your artwork. They, you know, decide to dump a bottle of paint on it because they're frustrated at the fact that yours is looking better than theirs and they're just already having a bad day or something. So they do that and then you react and respond. Maybe you hit them in the face. Maybe you're still really young and this is just kind of your tendency is to hit. So the enemy got the one kid by tempting him to thoughts and feelings of frustration and acting out on that anger. But in doing so, he also got the other kid who then reacted in anger and frustration. So it starts all the way from when we're little. But obviously, as we're young and still developing, those reactions and tendencies, those kind of just come with being a child. And eventually we grow out of them and learn that like, okay, you know, turn the other cheek just because one person did this to me doesn't mean I need to just do it to them. That is, you know, an indicator that they have something going on with them and I don't necessarily need to take that into my own hands or what have you. So as we're older, we're realizing, okay, you know, some people are just going to be having a bad day and that is that is their bad day. I don't need to let that affect me. Easier said than done though, right? So me personally, prior to... I kind of have this like milestone in my life where I became a more mindful person and I am so, so grateful for it because prior to it, I just had a lot more like habit reaction tendency type behaviors that I never even thought through like, oh wow, why am I doing this? How can I not do this? You know, how harmful is this to me? Why am I making this a habit? Those kinds of questions that I have finally gotten into the habit of asking myself on a regular basis prior to my mindset shift, I I wouldn't ask those kinds of questions. So for example, say I would be at my job and my, my past jobs mostly have been um, in hotels. And if a coworker was having a really bad day and just started like eh, saying things and maybe even kind of insulting me like, oh, well, you know, you don't ever do anything around here. Something like that, like prior would probably have left me feeling pretty upset, pretty hurt, a little confused, and a little aggravated, like, well, what the heck? Why did you just say that about me? And it probably would have caused a little uh, little fight between us or what have you. But post my mindset shift, thank you, Jesus, for showing me the grace and the way to this better level of perspective and understanding. I am able to view those situations as okay, that person is having a bad day. Like, 
I'm usually able to recognize the difference of like, oh, this person's out to get me or, oh, this person's having a hard day and I just so happen to be right here in the line of fire. I can see that. Like most of the time I can see that and it happens a lot in like the customer service world. If you think about people always complaining about terrible service of, you know, say a fast food drive through or a coffee shop or a hotel experience where the worker like lashes out on them because they're frustrated or something. And then the person goes and like leaves a bad review like, oh, this person was so rude. Here's what they did. Okay, yes, that place probably deserved the bad review because they need to get that employee in check. But when people take those instances and take them personally, like, oh my goodness, this coffee shop person just dumped my coffee at me or whatever. It's, it's so not personal. The person doesn't even know you. So it literally cannot even be personal. It's just them having a bad day and you happen to be right there. So as far as the stranger scenario, I'm very grateful to have the ability to distinguish the difference. And hopefully most of you, most of you listening are probably grown adults. Most of you probably moms. Hopefully a lot of you are able to have that distinct, uh, distinguish, dist- I'm drawing a blank on words here. Um, <laughs> hopefully most of you are able to distinguish the difference. Sorry, again, along with my no scripting and no note taking is no post editing. So if I'm at a loss for a word, you're just going to bear with the hiccup for a second. So that is the stranger scenario. But what about the people who we are very, very, very close to? So one of the biggest adjustments for me when I got married, and I'm not going to get into crazy detail about my marriage because I think that is something between a man and a woman and not to share on a podcast, but one of the biggest things in my marriage, and I think for most, is that we are in, women in particular, because we're emotional creatures, we are in for such a rude awakening as to the potential of having our emotions sent on a roller coaster every single day. And that is because, so if most of you, you know, went through the very traditional order of events, dating, not living together, got married, moved in together, which is, you know, how it was for me and most people I know, maybe a lot of my listeners, maybe not. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The point is the adjustment of either getting married or maybe moved in first, that adjustment of having basically every day spent with the same person who you did not grow up with, so they don't they don't quite know you to the extent that your immediate family knows you, but they know you on a different level, you are now basically investing your entire self, your heart, your emotions, your insecurities, your strengths, your weaknesses, everything. You give it all to your spouse, right? And again, if any of you listening are not married, it doesn't mean that this episode isn't for you. It just means that you can apply it to, you know, maybe a really close friend who maybe you think is having kind of toxic effects on you because they're a negative person or maybe a coworker, what have you. Hopefully this is still striking a chord with you. But with the example of the spouse, it's like you are spending every day with this person and if you go into it with this fairy tale expectation of every day is going to be perfect because I love them so much and they love me so much, therefore what, what could possibly go wrong? You are destined to feel disappointed 
obviously life is not perfect no marriage is perfect no marriage is a fairy tale but with regards to this exact concept here that we're talking about with don't give the enemy a bogo is like every time you allow your spouse's bad day to make you have a bad day you just gave the enemy a bogo every time your spouse is irritated with something and it makes you all sad and emotional and all of a sudden you start saying things that you know you don't really mean you just gave the enemy a bogo now i'm not saying that it's not okay to have like sad or frustrated feelings when your spouse or whatever close person you're applying this example to when they are having you know misbehaviors but the point is we answer to God for our own selves. So if we're allowing day in and day out someone else to be the reason that we take certain actions that are borderline sinful actions or even outright sinful actions, that's not going to go over so well to God. You're not going to be able to answer to God and be like, well, but the reason I was in such a grumpy mood that day at work and saying mean things to every person I helped was because my boss came in and told me that I did so bad on my, you know, checklist the day before. And my, my boss was in such a bad mood. So it put me in a bad Jesus doesn't care. He's not going to listen to that and be like, oh, he didn't listen to Adam and say, oh, Eve made you do it. Okay, you're off the hook, Adam. No, that's not how it works. We don't get off the hook. We don't get excused because someone else made us do it. Just like just like when we look at children who, you know, say both of them are climbing a ladder all the way up to the roof, even though they absolutely know they're not supposed to. And the one looks at the older one and says, well, he made me do it. No, he didn't make you. He may have asked you or bribed you or simply you followed his example, but you answer for your own self. And it goes the same for us in our adult life. Every single time someone else is having a hard time being tempted to either being maybe it's not even sinful you know it's it's kind of a big gray area if we're going to really go there as far as what behaviors are sin versus not sin but i think there are definitely plenty of behaviors that are not even necessarily sin but they're still not ideal like being in a bad mood do i think in and of itself being in a bad mood is sinful in and of itself not necessarily if you're just kind of not feeling your greatest but you're also not doing anything terrible to act on that it's not necessarily sinful sometimes we just don't feel that great but if we're acting on that and making it you know making it a sin your your spouse or your coworker or your close friend is acting on that bad mood and just ripping you apart or just looking at people walking down the street and making fun of them because it's just making them feel better or just doing things that are uncalled for, unchristian like that's where it's sinful, I would say. But we're not even here to discuss, you know, what is and what isn't sin. The point is if someone else is having this hard time, they're obviously fighting something within themselves that the enemy is tempting them with, that doesn't mean that that gets to carry over to us. So again, I'm going to bring it to the marriage example, but you put it in whatever is most relevant for you. If your spouse is like lacking in a certain area, maybe there's something you wish he was more helpful with. Maybe he just doesn't, you know, put any effort towards your children. Again, these are examples. Do not think that I'm like 
like sneakily talking about my marriage here. I'm not. I'm absolutely not here to talk about my marriage. I'm here to talk about marriage in general based on my own, others, people I hear about on social media, others who I've talked to, books I've read, etc. So don't read into anything here. But if your spouse is lacking in certain areas or maybe even like really struggling with something drastic that, you know, is sinful or borderline sinful, that absolutely doesn't mean that you get to use that as an excuse to say, well, because my spouse was only putting in, you know, 50% effort to be a godly man, it really inhibited my potential of being a godly woman. Absolutely not how that works. In fact, I really do believe that in a lot of marriages I've seen, books I've read, even movies you watch, it is definitely a bit of a stereotype, but I also think there's a lot of truth to it, that women have a much easier time praying and being close to Jesus. I'm not saying that's for everyone. Absolutely not. But I do think a lot of the time, simply because of our more emotional tendencies, our more social type character, it's easier for us in a lot of ways to have a relationship with Jesus, to be intimate in prayer, to be patient, waiting for our petitions, all these different things that form a good relationship with Jesus, they're kind of things that might come a little bit easier to women. I read a post somewhere on social media that was like about men needing to, this was like back in the olden days, men needing to take like whole weekend trips to get away, to take a journey up into the mountains because that was where they could pray to God. That was where they heard him the loudest. That is where they were able to speak with him in prayer and actually feel his presence I'm getting chills talking about this because in the story, in the write-up on social media, it was like the women were like, well, how come they get to go do that? Like, we're just here doing our dishes and changing our babies and cooking the food and cleaning the house and doing what we do day in and day out. How come the men all get to leave on this trip up the mountains to, you know, have a day with God? And the answer, I don't remember if it was, you know, from an angel or however the post was written, but it was said that, while the men have to go up to the mountains to see God, God comes to us here in our homes, right here in our daily duties. God comes to us. He knows that our responsibilities here are way, way, way too important. It, it can't stop. Our household can't just stop. We can't just say, oh, hey, who's going to cover my shift? No, this is this is our home. This is the home that we are raising our children in. The meals got to happen. The cleaning needs to get done. The laundry needs to get washed. All these things need to happen. It's an honor and it's a privilege. And that is why God comes to us. I think that is so beautiful. I'll try to find the actual article. It was much better written than the way I just summarized it. But the point being in a lot of aspects, it is easier for women to have intimacy with Jesus, I think. And I hope, you know, no men who might hear this, I hope no one gets offended by that. I just think it is a probably a statistical thing. Women in our, again, social, emotional nature, it can sometimes be a little bit easier for us. So the reason I bring that up, don't worry, it's going to circle back here, is that if men, our spouse or our coworker, our boss. I had pretty much all male bosses in my past. So I can definitely also relate to that as far as like your boss having a hard day and making sure you don't let it affect your day. Men, I think 
tend to have a harder time remaining, how can I put this, as mindful maybe as we do. So we are, we are constantly mindful of like, is this, is this what I meant to be doing right now? Is this pleasing to God? That's the phrase I was looking for. Is this pleasing to God? Like that's something that might be a little bit easier for us women to constantly, constantly keep at the forefront of our mind. Is this pleasing to God? Is what I'm doing honoring Jesus right now? Is this action here and now serving my ultimate and eternal purpose of making it to heaven? Those are things that are like kind of abstract, but again, we love that. Like, we thrive on those kinds of concepts and ideas. Whereas for men, it's a little more like, uh, what? That went over my head. I need to go to the mountains to hear God. You know what I'm saying? So for the men, if they're having this tendency of frustration or anger or even just a lack of effort as us women might see it, whereas really to the men, it's not It's not always that it's a lack of effort. It might just be that your standard is a little high and he might... Anyways, we won't get into it. But the point being, we answer for our own selves. And I truly believe that because God knows that he comes to us here in our homes and for the men, they have to go up to the mountains, he might even make it a little bit easier for us to fight these temptations. I have this like scenario in my head. I don't know if I had a dream about it or I just thought about it one time during prayer. But it's like, imagine... Imagine God looking down on all his children, you know, all these families especially, looking at married couples and their children, and he's looking at temptations or battles that the married couple are regularly going through, whether it's, you know, finance or health or just day-to-day responsibilities, getting the best of them, all these different things. He's looking like, okay, you know, they're having a hard time, but I'm going to send down a whole bunch of grace onto the wife. And, you know, an angel or a bystander might say, well, God, why aren't you putting grace on both of them? You know, can't you, can't you just, and obviously he, it's not never, ever, ever ending grace. Yes, he's, he has never ending grace available for us, but we're not always asking for it. Therefore, if we're not asking for it, we can't always be receiving of it. I think since women have this bigger tendency of prayer and intimacy with God, maybe it's possible that we're receiving more graces from him to withstand these temptations. Whereas the men, maybe they're not praying as often. So if God is looking down and he's like, I'm giving all these graces to the wife because I know that she is going to put them to good use and she is going to be the spiritual strength in her marriage for this particular scenario that they're working through right now. If that were the case, just imagine, just, you know, bear with me here. Use your imagination for a second. Imagining that that is the case, how wasteful would it be for you as the wife to then allow the husband's frustration or whatever to turn your emotions and feelings into the same frustration and anger? And it's like God's looking down like, no, I gave you so many graces to help you overcome that. But we we don't always see it that way because we're so emotionally invested in our spouse obviously we absolutely should be but there needs to be like a difference we need to be able to distinguish when something is personal like he's personally attacking you or is he just getting frustrated at a situation 
And there is absolutely no need for you to reciprocate and feel that same frustration. I hope this is making sense. I'm trying to think of a better way of wording that to summarize it. But my point is like, we answer to God for our own selves. So if there's a certain scenario and then you're like, you know, talking to God, why why didn't you help me through that? And he's like, I did. I, you were praying so hard and asking and asking for my graces. I sent down so many graces to help you through that. And you're like, but I, I didn't, I didn't feel that. I, what? And he's like, because you completely crumbled under someone else's sin. You completely made their sin your own sin. You completely allowed for someone else's downfall with their feelings, frustrations, thoughts. You completely made it your own. You completely justified feeling the way you felt, getting all negative and lashing out and acting out sinfully. You justified it because someone next to you did it. And that would be so humbling and convicting to be like, oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay, right. I absolutely only answer for myself. It's like if two people were running a race and maybe one of them is extremely conditioned. They are so strong. They've been practicing for a whole year. They have had all the right you know, nutrients and hydration. They're in all the right gear, the right shoes, the right everything. And the person next to them, maybe they appear physically to be the same, but really mentally they're not prepared. They're actually not as fit even though they look it. They're not wearing the right kind of shoes. They're too small. They haven't had the right nutrients or hydration. They're just totally not feeling their best. If these two people are going to go and run a sprint right now, or maybe a bit of a longer race, the one who is falling behind, how dumb would it be if the faster runner saw the slower runner and decided that he could kind of take it easy because that slower runner was running that slow? It would be absolutely not putting their skills and talents and abilities to its fullest potential. And that's what I think it is all about in this life for us is not ever, ever, ever looking at someone else's spiritual advancements or lack thereof and using it as a way to dictate where we should be. Not at all. Whether it's our spouse, our coworker, our teenage child who maybe is going through something really tough. I can't speak from experience on that yet, but I know there are lots of parents going through that. Whoever it is in your life, if they are having a problem spiritually, they're just, you know, totally not even making any effort. It is never, ever, ever a means for you to sit there and compare that their lack of effort justifies you no longer trying as hard. And that can look a lot of different ways. Maybe you have, you know, someone who's never reading their Bible and you always read your Bible, but now that you learn that they never do, you're like, oh, well, maybe I can just cut it down to like once a week because they never do and they seem fine. Okay, well, maybe they're doing a bunch of different things that you don't do and that's why it makes up for it. Or maybe they are reading their Bible, but you just don't know about it because they don't brag about it as much as you do. You know what I mean? It's like we can't ever, ever look at someone else and allow it to either justify, dictate, or in any way influence what we do in a negative way we can allow other people's actions to influence what we do in a positive way so whether that is someone else having a very very thriving and fulfilling spiritual life and you look at that and you say wow that is so inspiring they're like 
spreading the word of God and posting about scripture and having conversations about it and having, you know, Bible groups meeting up all the time. I want to start being more like them and you implement a little bit of it and you start to see it working wonders in your life. That's great. That's awesome. That's wonderful when God's children can inspire and push each other to be better. But if you're ever allowing the adverse to happen, if you're ever allowing someone's negativity to impact yours and think that it's okay, no. No, 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 no. And again, this goes for, of course, not just individuals in our life, but overall circumstances as well. So I know that a lot of people deal with some really, really, really tough things in their life, whether it's serious poverty or health issues or even death of really close loved ones or all of the above or anything, you know, we can't ever use it as an excuse to not still do our very, very, very best in our relationship with God. We can't. He knows that whatever he gave you to deal with, he knows you could handle it. I know that sounds harsh. And sometimes when I'm going through something, I hate when people say, God only gives, you know, you what you can handle. It's like really annoying to hear (laughs) in the moment when you're going through something, you're like, oh, gee, great. Thanks. Yeah, that's really not helpful right now. But it is true. And he knows what he's doing. He obviously has infinite knowledge, infinite. He's infinitely wise. He is all knowing. So he knows that what he's giving you to deal with, not only can you make it through it, but it is actually part of what was written in your story to get you to heaven. So when you're answering to him at the end of the world, you're not you're not going to look at your scenario and say, well, God, I did my best, but you have to take into account the fact that you dealt me this hand and that hand. So because of that, I kind of only became this good of a person. I was kind of just a so-so person. No, there's not two chances at life. He's not going to say, okay, you did good. Go try again. No, there's one shot at this. One shot, one life. And we don't even know how long that may be. That may be tomorrow for you. That may be today. We don't know. So we have to do our very best with what we are given, with who we are given, and with how we are given it. So no more playing the blame game. No more giving the enemy a buy one, get one. None of that. You answer for yourself. You call on the strength of God to help you through each and every day. And you remember that you answer to him. You don't answer for anyone else. No one else answers for you. You answer to him. At the end of the world, you answer to him for your own self. You've got this, my friend. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy mom life and tuning into this episode. If this resonated with you, I would appreciate a review on the Apple podcast app, as well as just sharing it with a friend, someone else who might find my message helpful. I'm praying for you, my friends. Keep letting your light shine. Till next time, God bless you.